dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Without a doubt, St. Peter and St. Paul dominate church history. Their names as synonymous with Christianity as our Lord's own name and that of his blessed mother. But how do the two get along? And what was their relationship like? If you were a leader, how would you lead a church with someone like St. Paul in it? St. Peter gives us an example of a charismatic leadership, humble and empowering. Boy, I'm just so excited about what we got to talk about tonight. This is just so wonderful that you are able to be here because when we look at leadership in the church, we're looking at a paradigm that can be applied to our businesses, to our companies, but also to our families. And that's just why I'm so excited to dig into what we have in front of us today, which is a relationship between St. Peter and St. Paul. Uh, two names as synonymous with Christianity as our Lord's own name and that of his blessed mother. I mean, Peter and Paul is kind of like talking about the one who holds the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the other one who holds the, the two-edged sword of the word of God. I mean, these two apostles were the two men who really founded Christianity's uh, genius in the cultures throughout the world. It was our Lord, of course, who founded his church but it was Peter and Paul, these two pillars of the church, who expanded the church. And as they did so, they faced incredible challenges uh, in their leadership. How did they rise to those challenges? What do their lives show us about our own? Right? So I want to dig into the word, but before I do that, I want to invoke the Holy Spirit. So please pray with me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, if you take a look at where these two men first meet, uh, St. Peter and St. Paul, you, you notice, my goodness, what a spot. They meet there where St. Stephen had fallen asleep. Right, you take a look at Acts chapter 7, verse, se verse 60. And falling to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. We know that he more than approved of it. We know that St. Paul was there. He was at his execution. Now, I say that the two of them met there where St. Stephen fell asleep. It doesn't mention Peter being explicitly there. So maybe he wasn't there. 
but I would assume he would have been because as a leader, he would have been there where his, his followers, the sheep of Christ, were first laying down their lives. But in any case, that death of Stephen, whether Peter was there or not, definitely was the occasion that ushered in St. Paul's presence and activity in the life of St. Peter because verse chapter 8, verse 1 begins, and on that day there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That means, I mean, I'm sure St. Peter was waking up in the morning thinking about St. Paul. He was going to bed at night thinking about St. Paul. That is, thinking about Saul, of course, the persecutor. I'm absolutely positive St. Peter had to have been so concerned about Saul. But he remained in Jerusalem at his post doing his job while Saul continued the great persecution all the way until Acts chapter 9 where it says, verse 1, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It shows you how extreme Saul was in his, he's not just that he was being a mean guy and like arresting people. He was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. All right, and so what happens? Of course, we know what happens. Saul meets the Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's nine, verse four. And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. It's amazing, right? So the one who's being persecuted ends up telling him, you'll be told what you are to do. Right? And Saul goes just like a little boy being led by the hand into the city where for three days he fasts, eats nothing, drinks nothing. He's totally in sorrow and he's blind. Three days of darkness. Until that same Lord whom he was persecuting, breathing out murder against the members of his body, saw this, this great evil having overcome him, is suddenly given an incredible mercy by that very same Lord. How beautiful to think about the souls in your life, these, these men whom you think are so far away from God, these women who seem to be such, so intent on destruction, and the fact that God can show them such mercy and bring life into their souls. This is indeed such a grace that becomes a paradigm for Christianity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind like Paul, but now I see. And that great light, that great grace given to Paul fills his soul. And what does Paul do in response? Well, let's take a look. Verse 20, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Now that's an amazing thing. The man who was once a persecutor has now become a proclaimer and a preacher of the word. Right? And all who heard him were amazed, verse 21, and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name. And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He proclaimed him. 
And so boldly that it ends up that the, the Jews in Damascus conspired to kill St. Paul, con conspired to kill Saul of Tarsus. They, they posted men at the gates ready to kill him as he walked through. Saul learns of this, gets lowered out of the side of the city in a basket, has to travel three days of, by foot all the way back to Jerusalem. And then the most amazing thing that happens, this man who'd received such mercy from Christ, turns to the Christians in Jerusalem as he turned to those in Damascus, but instead of finding open arms, he finds a closed door. You got to remember, this is the Jerusalem where he himself had proven his hatred for the church and for our Lord by persecuting them unto death, right? Murderous threats, arresting men and women, wreaking havoc. He destroyed people's families. He destroyed, for all we know, people's lives. He definitely destroyed people's re reputations. He scattered the church. He was Peter's nemesis. And now he comes back to Jerusalem looking for welcome. And he finds none. Instead, it says no one would take him in. Well, I mean, surprise, surprise, right? Would you yourself do that? Look at what it says in verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. What a scene that is. What will Peter do? So suddenly St. Peter is, is presented with the very persecutor of the church who wants to be one of his followers. If he believes in St. Paul, he could risk unleashing again on the church this devastation that first took place on his watch. Was he not grappling with some sort of demon of guilt saying maybe he shouldn't have allowed Stephen to be preaching like he did? Stephen, a young man, killed, needlessly martyred. Was he, was he about to do the same thing again? Or could he, but could he cut him off and say no? When the Lord himself had shown St. Peter such mercy, could he refuse such mercy to a man who was asking for it? What would you do? When you have the whole organization in your hands and it's hanging on an, opin an opinion, a, a, a decision, you have to make a leadership call here. Do you opt on the side of prudence against mercy? Do you show mercy against prudence? How do you make that decision? Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Well, I think all of us have one time or another been exactly where St. Peter found himself, right? Responsible for a decision that you have to make in your heart that's going to impact absolutely everybody in your organization. Everybody who's under your leadership, everyone in your family. What do you do? Well, I think St. Peter had to pray. We're looking at Acts chapter 9, verse 27, 28. It doesn't say what Peter did. But we know that Barnabas took him to the apostles, took St. Paul the persecutor to the apostles. So St. Peter had to have been there. It was the apostles who were in Jerusalem. And then there would be just a great painting to make of St. Paul, Saul, being presented by Barnabas to St. Peter, who's looking him in the eye. Well, how did Peter look at Paul? What happened? It's all lost. The Holy Ghost chose not to reveal that to us. But what it does says, verse 28, is suddenly 
It just says, So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He went in and out from them in Jerusalem. So he went out preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. St. Peter, somehow or other, showed mercy to St. Paul. And this is something that St. Paul would never forget. Throughout the life of this charismatic preacher who was lit with such a fire in his heart as he lay there in that bed and was, was anointed by the Holy Spirit and baptized there in Damascus, Syria. He was baptized and set a fire. He immediately started preaching. And his preaching was immediately effective. And he preached first in Damascus, then he preached in Jerusalem. You're going to see he gets sent away from Jerusalem. And he has to go back to Tarsus where St. Barnabas finds him later and brings him over to Antioch. And he goes from Antioch all the way over to Presidia. And from Presidia to Iconium, to, to, to Derby to Lystra, back to Jerusalem again to speak to the apostles in Acts 15. This is an amazing man. And everywhere he goes, conversions, the church is planted. But all of that fire needs to be endorsed by a pillar. The fire cannot burn outside of the house of God. It needs, he needs a structure. He needs an approval. He needs a permission. He needs a blessing. He needs a community. I think it's so amazing to see how God does this. St. Paul's fire is only unleashed when St. Peter opens the door for it. And, and, and here you just have this big, you know, kind of shows you the magnitude of the heart of Peter. When as a leader, someone more talented than you joins your ranks, what do you do? When you've got more talent on your team than you have inside, right? The, the temptation of a junior leader is to squash that because that's going to mean they're going to make them look bad. They're going to surpass them. It's to try to control those who are underneath you. Is that really the way of God? Is your goal in your life to lead your company as if your company was yours? Wouldn't it be amazing to be like that soccer coach I met one time? You know, he, he had these bunch of little kids and he lined them up in front of him. He said, my goal as a coach is so that the next team and the next coach you play for, you play for that next coach better. Wouldn't it be neat if you were to run a, a company, a business, a team, if you were to lead some sort of exercise and instead of saying, you know what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to serve this company the best that you possibly can under my leadership and I will tell you when you will jump. Wouldn't it be neat if instead you were to tell them my goal is to make you a better employee for the next guy. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to make you so wonderful as a person that this is the job that will define the rest of your working life because this company doesn't exist just for me. It exists for this country and it exists for God and I am its humble servant. I'll never forget the time I was talking with a guy who had, he had, I don't even know, thousands of acres of hardwood. Runs a lumber business. And he gives a great deal away. And I remember him saying to me, you know, I said something like, how many, how many acres of, of woods do you own? And he goes, zero. But I know that God has made me the steward of 2014 acres. He's made me the steward and he's going to ask me for an accounting one day. When you look at all that you've achieved in your life, you look back at your law degree, you look at the medical degree hanging on your wall, you look at your practice, you look at the obstacles, the risings and the fallings of your life, all that you went through. Do you really think it's all about you? What if St. Peter were to say, ah, yes, you know what? I've made 10,000 converts. There they all are. 
I started with nothing. <laughs> and then, oh, by golly, George, I'm such a good preacher that everybody just converted into my church. And then, you know what I mean? You just shake your head. You'll be like, judgment will not come softly upon thee, O Peter, proud man that thou art, right? This did not come from you. This was given to you. And your job is to steward it into an even greater greatness. Your job, St. Peter, is to keep the church alive so that when God gives a St. Paul to it, you let that lion go. Now, what, how many St. Pauls has God entrusted to you? Your children, your spouses who are greater than you, your family, your co-workers, your bosses, the people around you. Yeah, do you think that you are the measure of our world? You think wrong. The measure of our world is Christ. And you grow to be like him when you allow your soul to become magnanimous and open to letting the greatness flow through you. The greatest act a, a person can do in their life is to fold their life under the greatness of the others around them. To inspire and set free the talents and the skills and the drive of those who are near them. This is the service of the, fa the spiritual father, the spiritual mother. This is the service, the high point of the soul of a Christian. It's to be like Christ, the grain that falls to the ground and dies, but bears abundant fruit. And this is exactly what St. Peter did with St. Paul. I would dare say he did an investment in Paul. I don't know if St. Paul was living in St. Peter's house, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I wouldn't surprise me at where else who else is going to take St. Paul then if not St. Peter and there it says in verse 28 so he went boldly in the name of Jesus in and out among them and the church grew throughout Judea and Samaria and had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied see this is the blessing that God gives thanks to the leadership, the humble leadership of St. Peter. And never forget it, the fire that exists in the hearts of your missionaries, the fire of zeal that exists in the hearts of your saints, exists in the hearts of your saints and of your missionaries and of your great leaders because of the silent stability of the humble leadership that gives structure and place and mercy. If you are not a St. Paul, then be a St. Peter. If you are not a firebrand of a stroke of lightning flashing here and there, be the solid pillar that humbly allows the lamp, like a lampstand, the fire to burn brightly in the sight of all. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. You know, when we look at St. Peter and St. Paul, we, we see this kind of, this, this difference, right? St. Paul is preaching everywhere he goes, everyone's listening to him and they're all converting. And then you've got St. Peter who's ministering, you know, and, and he's building up a structure to live in. I think that's amazing, right? Just like you have visionary leaders, you also have, you have organizational leaders and they're not the same. A visionary leader is not always an organizational leader, 
Rarely, as a matter of fact. It reminds me of something Saint that uh, uh, soon-to-be blessed Fulton Sheen said. He said, you know, there are charismatic preachers and there are administrators. And the charismatic preachers are capable of filling football stadiums. And administrators just humbly go about their task every day. And it's funny because it was obvious that Saint that blessed uh, Fulton Sheen, he himself was not an administrator. He was given one diocese to run and he made so many mistakes that they quickly removed him from it and just allowed him to keep on preaching around the country. And as he preached, he, of course, he filled football stadiums. And he said, well, you know, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose the administrator every time. Why? Because while the charismatic leader fills football stadiums full of people and lights them on fire of excitement, when he dies, his movement dies. But when an administrator spends his life building up an administration and an institution, the institution lasts proclaiming the word and doing its mission for hundreds of years. The humility of St. Peter not only allowed the fire of St. Paul to spread throughout the church, but allowed so many others to flourish and to be sustained. He gave the structure, and that is a decision of leadership that required incredible humility, wisdom. And yet, it, it, you see this again in Acts chapter 10. We saw it already in Acts 9 when Peter allows Paul to preach in the church and gives his permission that this persecutor and wreaker of havoc should be shown mercy by Christ and preach his holy name. But again, in, in chapter 10, what happens? Well, St. Peter becomes the first one to convert the Gentiles. All right, you all know this well. This is the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile to receive the Holy Ghost. All right, and, and so take, take a look. This is verse t uh, chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The first time. And I think that that's so remarkable that God, in his respect for the authority of St. Peter, an authority that comes from him, but authority that he chooses to respect, does not give the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles to Paul first. Later on, we all know Paul will be sent to the Gentiles by Peter. But first, the permission has to be given and granted. The decision of leadership of where the Holy Ghost will be given and, and how that will be incorporated into the household of God is entrusted to St. Peter to make. And Peter makes that decision. Again, like it shows you the boldness of his leadership. He might not be out there going and, and being beaten by the pagans and being in these, all these strange lands, all these things that will befall St. Paul. The riots, you know, torn garments, all of the drama that St. Paul will go through. We're going to read all about it later on, right? We look at St. Paul's leadership in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It goes through a whole list of the things that he went through. Starvation, hunger. St. Paul will later on even say, I worked harder than all of the rest of them. Maybe even including St. Peter. Maybe St. Paul was angry. I don't know. But in any case, he lists, he lists this. He's going to do all of that. And what St. Peter got to do, St. Peter has to carry the weight of responsibility around his neck. He's responsible for St. Paul. And not only St. Paul, but every preacher that will go along the roads and highways and byways of the church. For Peter is the vicar of Christ on this earth. He is the staff of the good shepherd. He is the son of the father. 
and who has been given that principled role to maintain the structure and to steer the ship. Paul gets to go out and, and, and do it thanks to St. Peter's orientation. And here we find in Acts 10 that he's giving that orientation. Now I want you to reflect upon this because it, what's so beautiful is that Paul never forgets this love for Peter or the respect he has Peter. Throughout his ministry, Paul always goes back to Peter. Even when we know in Galatians, Paul corrects Peter, right? He says it to his face, etc., and he writes about it later on. And even though we know that St. Peter writes in his letter, you know that not everything is really easy to understand about Paul's letters. You know, you kind of, I wouldn't say it's a jab, but it's kind of like at the same time, you know, there's like this, there's a relationship between them, right? And there's, these are two autonomous men who receive the grace of God. There's at the same time a hierarchy, and St. Paul bows towards St. Peter's authority because it is that of Christ. Where Peter speaks, Christ speaks. Now as you look at your own lives and, and, and you're sitting here today listening to me, I want you to be challenged. Where, what is the grace God has given to you? If you are a St. Paul, do you have respect for the Peters in your life? Or do you just kind of go around glory hounding, Right? Oh, no, I've got all kinds of gifts. I went to Harvard. I've got my Wharton MBA. I'm Mr. So-and-so. And then, you know, kind of like just not even taking for granted all of the mothers who are out there every single day leading in a way much more important than you and your little Wharton MBA. Let me tell you that much. Motherhood. What a, this is a leadership like that of St. Peter's. Silent, humble, constant, necessary, weighty. Fatherhood, all these other leaders of these small nonprofits, they could be great too. It's not because they're running a nonprofit that they're not great. It might be because they're running a nonprofit that they are great. You try running a nonprofit, you know, right? You think, well, you with your big old staff, that's really great. You got a great staff. Congratulations. Try building one from nothing, okay? Then go ahead and tell me how great your staff is. The fact is that our leadership. And where Christ has put us, if we are a Paul, it depends upon a Peter. And if we are a Peter, it depends upon a Paul. And we need to have that humility to not sit still and allow the status quo to dictate our decisions. Right, Peters? What do you like when all of a sudden God brings you to Paul? You're like, oh, nuts. I thought everything was going along just swimmingly. And then God goes and converts your greatest enemy. It's amazing how, the God, how God throws us curveballs. Because if we are Peters, we need to be able to be moved and be adept. Peter and Paul need each other and they flow from each other and they feed on each other. Blessed be the name of Christ. And he does the same thing for you in your life. The trick is to serve Jesus with everything that we have, humbly and totally. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.